Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Doing well, Ed. How are you? I am good. Good. Uh, You know, one of the big stories this week that's been in the news is the Democrats push to add Washington, D.C. as the 51st state. Just recently, the House voted 216 to 208, straight party line vote on House Bill 51. Uh, You know, as I understand it, these bills are generally numbered sequentially when they're introduced, but this is uh, H.R. 51. It's a little bit of play on words there. 51 would be the 51st state. Yeah, you wonder if that was intentional. I have a feeling that it was. Maybe Pelosi you know, held it or pushed it forward or something to get the 51. I don't believe in coincidence. Not like that anyway. No. Well, here, as a matter of fact, since you mentioned Pelosi, we actually have some audio of what she said about it. By voting for D.C. statehood, the House of Representatives reaffirms this truth that all deserve a voice in our democracy. To hear Congresswoman Holmes Norton talk about equality for the people of the District of Columbia. Equality because of equal representation in the Congress. So what are your thoughts, Ed? Well, let's think about that. Uh, It's interesting that she does mention equal representation in Congress because that's really the only thing that's at issue here. That's right. And this is a clear power grab to try to add a seat, uh, probably just one seat into the House, but two senators in a 50-50 Senate. The fact is that uh, people who choose to live in Washington, D.C., knowing it's the nation's capital, they have a local government. They have a local judiciary. They get matters heard through committees as well as both chambers in Congress. And they even get to vote for the president uh, following a constitutional amendment. So the only issue that's out there has to do with representation in Congress. And... Like you said, and I think that needs to be really emphasized, you don't have to live in the district. You're free to move. If having representation, voting representation in Congress, because as Pelosi said, D.C. has a non-voting delegate, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who's been there forever. And I think, frankly, is quite effective, particularly given that she has no vote. Um, you can move, you know, Um don't even have to move that far. You can go to Maryland or Virginia or, and and have your congressperson and be subject to state laws, um, you know, quote, unquote, just like everyone else is. And you're right. The only difference, I mean, and that's just, that's it. And it's all about the Senate. So what do you think about their, their attempt to pass a law to grant statehood? You think that's uh, all that's required? No, I think uh, I think you would need to have a constitutional amendment, uh, and the reason for that is the Constitution, Article One, Section Eight, says Congress has the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, up to ten miles square, as may by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States. It's clear that our founders um, in the Constitution thought that Washington, D.C. would be the seat of government of the United States. It would not be a state. And in fact, 
in the Federalist Papers that was even discussed specifically. And and, and that's important. Um, they had their reasons for that. They wanted it to be a federal town, and they 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 feared. Um, really, I think two things. First, that if it was if the federal government were seated in a state as it had been uh, on two occasions. Um, that state would be seen by the other states as the favorite or getting preferential treatment in the Congress and by the president, perhaps. Uh, and also there was this incident um, with regard to sort of the continental version of the bonus army um, marching on Philadelphia, uh, seeking pay from the revolution. Um, <clears throat> the members of Congress asked for help from from the local authorities, and they were ignored. And they ended up having to, as they said at the time, skedaddle uh, into New Jersey uh, to get away from the Bonus Army. Um, and so, so this was a conscious decision. And frankly, I think uh, our Constitution, as it relates to this issue, has worked very well since 1789. And there's no reason to change it simply because Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and that uh, that group is power hungry. You know, I'm not necessarily denigrating their desire to hold on to and, and even increase their power, but this is a catastrophe for our country, I'm afraid, in that it will unnecessarily and forever skew the Senate. Their and, goal is to add two senators who would almost assuredly be Democrat senators, that's right. tip the balance of power in their way. At that point, they could eliminate the filibuster. They could push anything through, including packing the Supreme Court. That's right. And and there we go. And gun control and worse. Um, and it's a prescription for disaster. <clears throat> I was, excuse me, I was interested um, to read about the retro secession, I guess is the term. Is that right? Right. Um, when... Uh, land was returned to Virginia, and I guess Maryland both. Was it both of them? I think it was just Virginia. Just Virginia. In, uh, Which is why when you look at a map, you don't have a perfect square for the District right. of Columbia. Um, in About 10 years after the Civil War, and there was a lawsuit filed by a voter or a taxpayer in Virginia who said, <clears throat> I should be paying D.C. taxes, which at the time were lower, and not Virginia taxes, because um, – Congress can't, by passing a law, uh, accomplish this. And the Supreme Court ducked it and dismissed him for lack of standing and said that um, it had been so long, I think 30 or 40 years, and neither the state or nor D.C. had uh, joined in his suit or expressed any difficulties with it. <clears throat> they dismissed it for lack of standing. And I, I thought, you know, looking at it from, um, you know, a hundred and almost 50 years uh, hindsight it is the most interesting case. And frankly, I would have thought he, he certainly would have standing. I mean, this, you have a number of arguments could be made with regard to why it's necessary for the court to hear that. One of the things I thought that was interesting about that is that it shows how long the federal government has been involved in regulating the affairs of the District of Columbia. That's right. You have federal legislation that goes back to 1801, placing D.C. under Congress's authority. 
You have the issues with acceptance of land, return of land. Um, You've got a couple hundred years of involvement by the federal government following the Constitution to exercise exclusive jurisdiction of D.C. And in fact, you don't get to the things like the Home Rule Act until 1973 when the local government was established. That's right. And and as part of that, isn't that when they did the 23rd Amendment, too? Well, the 20, no, the 23rd Amendment was actually ratified in March of 61. OK. And I'm that sorry. gave residents of D.C. the right to vote for president and vice president. Uh, now, this came up again in the late 70s. Uh, in, in August of 1978, Congress submitted a constitutional amendment to the states for ratification, which would have revoked the 23rd Amendment and given D.C. full representation in Congress and the Electoral College. Only 16 states ratified it. That amendment expired in 1985. So if, if, if Congress previously thought it took a constitutional amendment, how can they now try to do it just by legislation? I mean, using any sort of logic, they can't. Um, of course, who knows what, what the court might say. But um, there's certainly a very powerful argument that if, uh, if Congress at one point thought it did, nothing has changed. And we have one more audio clip. Let me play this. This is from, from the White House spokesman. Biden, to my knowledge, hasn't spoken publicly, but this is what uh, Jen Psaki said at the the podium. Well, uh, President Biden strongly supports D.C. statehood, and he and, his, and we will all, our administration, will work with Congress uh, to get it passed. Uh, we put out a statement of administration policy in strong support of H.R. 51 just this morning. Uh, his view is that uh, we are uh, the denial of voting representation in Congress and local self-government to the 712,000 residents of our nation's capital violates two of our nation's founding principles, no taxation without representation and consent of the governed. Um, and he will continue to advocate uh, for this passing. Uh, I will also note an interesting detail I didn't know until this morning is that uh, there are a number of members, of course, of the of the armed forces, uh, retired military, who, of course, live in the District of Columbia and are denied uh, as a result of having uh, the lack of statehood, um, the, the rights that many others around the country have. Uh, so there are a number of issues why this is absolutely the right step and the president will continue to advocate for it. What do you think about that? Well, I have two problems with it. First of all, um, it is specious at best to suggest that the founders, when writing the Constitution, uh, went against a founding principle. I mean, whose principles are they but theirs? Uh, They had just fought a revolution, for God's sake. Uh, And secondly, um, I don't know that there are that many uh, retired uh, members of the military living in D.C. If they are, they too are free to move. Secondly, it's so expensive to live in D.C. that probably would be, you know, very high ranking. Uh, third, um, you know, I seriously doubt that there are more retiree, military retirees there than in North Carolina, for instance, or South Carolina or Virginia. Um, so I think that is a just a, a, a frankly an attempt to align uh, herself and her and her administration with the military that is not well thought out and doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't think carries any weight, to be honest with you. Well, and just to play out that idea about people voting, uh, you know, someone suggested as an alternative, you could let people vote in either Maryland or Virginia. You could draw the line down the middle for their original territory. And then they could just say they could have their voting rights act, voting rights 
by voting in one of those two states for Congress. If that's truly the concern. Yeah. Um, and put those people in those districts. And then I guess um, since they would have some ability to affect the outcome of elections, they would get, be listened to more than perhaps they might otherwise. And you solve that problem, I suppose. What did she say? 712,000 people live in D.C.? Yeah. wonder how many of those are voters. It's a, I don't know. That's a good question. I, it's I have a seen, small number. Um, you know, the actual language of HR 15 would still leave a federal district with a small footprint, basically, to cover uh, the Capitol, the White House, and some of the federal buildings. They would make that the new federal district, and then the rest of it would become this new state. And exactly. it would be. Go ahead. It would be one of the. It would be like the second or third smallest state in the country. Yeah. It's basically one city. Um, a city state, not unlike the Romans. You can make that argument. <laughs> and Nero is fiddling hard while we talk about this, I'm sure, uh, and laughing at us probably. And and there's some talk of a new name. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, we changed the name of the uh, of the state from what it is now. We change the flag too. What do you do? Seventeen rows of three or three rows of seventeen? How would that look? Well, it's when we add Puerto Rico, then we can figure out, you know, how to divide up 52 stars. There you go. I think uh, there's a better I, argument to be made for Puerto Rico, honestly. Well, I think it is. And, you know, the problem with um, the problem with making Puerto Rico the, the 51st or 52nd state is kind of twofold, I think. One is that there's been mixed reactions on the island from they've had various referenda over the years. The other problem is is that no one is quite certain how they would vote. Uh, I think that Democrats think it would be an automatic two senators, uh, but I, I'm not convinced of that with uh, yeah. some of the social issues that, that the Democrats are advocating now would not play well in Puerto Rico. That, that's right. And they may that, that, I think both sides may be a little bit concerned about the unknown there. But you're right. The, as I understand it, the, the populace has gone from being very much in favor of uh, statehood to maybe maybe leaning against it. Um, that's interesting to me because they're citizens. They can't vote in our presidential election unless they come to the mainland and establish residence. Uh, but they do vote in the primaries, right? Well, it's a non. Well, each party determines whether it's a binding or non-binding primary. Right. And I believe both parties accept delegates from Puerto Rico towards the nomination of a candidate. Okay. They don't vote in the presidential election, of course, because they're not a state, so they don't belong to the Electoral College. Uh, For Washington, D.C., there is that exception that was made with the 23rd Amendment. That's right. And, of course, Puerto Rico also has uh, a non-voting delegate in the the House of Representatives. Right. Whose name escapes me at the moment, but um, they have the same as D.C. does in that regard. So, I, you know, I don't know where this this is going. Um, the so what, obviously, is what it would do to the balance of power. Uh, it's passed the House, straight party line vote. White House says they would support it. Next stop would be the Senate. At this point, from what I've heard, that Joe Manchin is not in favor of this and is not in favor of ending the filibuster so that they could push this to, through with 50 votes plus the vice president. So this may just reach a dead end in the Senate. We can hope. Uh, it'll certainly be interesting to watch and follow, at least for me, and I'm sure for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, Those of us who are exactly. uh, sort of uh, constitutional nerds, I guess you'd say. Uh, it's uh, highly, highly uh, intriguing. And so that's course, a big issue, likely. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll be interesting to watch because it will certainly keep going, at least until the Senate votes, yay or nay. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens with it. We're going to follow this. One other big issue that came up this week has to be do with John Kerry, who is a former Secretary of State, now President Biden's chief climate negotiator. I guess he's the special envoy for climate or special czar or something like that. But according to the New York Times, the Iranian foreign minister, Java Zarif, if I'm pronouncing that correct, said that Kerry had informed him that Israel had attacked Iranian interests in Syria at least 200 times to his astonishment. That's a direct quote. Uh, Kerry's denying it, but it's a pretty serious allegation that he's providing information to the Iranian government. Bad for their national security. I mean, the Israelis and bad for ours, um, if it's true. And of course, if you remember the beginning of the uh, Trump administration with uh, the allegations against Michael Flynn for violating the Logan Act, uh, allegations against the president himself for supposedly telling something to the Russians or to the Chinese in his office and the the outrage on Capitol Hill. Uh, And yet we know that apparently during the Trump administration, Kerry was still meeting with Zarif or someone else from Iran to discuss the Iranian nuclear deal. That's right. And, and I don't and think I'll, he's denied that. No, he's I mean, they're pictures uh, and that's perfectly fine and acceptable um, to the Democrats um, who were so outraged that Michael Flynn would have had the temerity to uh, make some phone calls and perhaps chit chat with a, 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 the Russian ambassador in Washington during the transition from Obama to Trump which is hypocritical, uh, to say the least. Well, and it certainly wasn't okay with Ted Cruz. This is what he had to say on the floor of the Senate. Turning to current topics, the Obama-Biden team shamefully, repeatedly, recklessly used leaks to leak secrets about Israeli operations against Iranian terrorists and forces. Now, there are new reports on a taped phone call that then-Secretary of State Kerry may have leaked Israeli attacks to Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif, with whom he is personally close. If verified, these reports would mean he maliciously endangered not just Israeli national security, but American lives. If these reports are true, John Kerry should resign, and if he doesn't resign, President Biden should fire him. Resign or be fired. What do you Strong. think about that? I think he's right. I don't think it'll happen, but I think he's right. It's unforgivable if it's true. It really is. Um, whether he did it for reasons that are personal because he's friends with this uh, this individual or whether he did it for policy reasons, either way, the damage is the same. Um, you know, as I said, it's bad for the Israelis. It's bad for us. It's bad for us in the sense that he's talking out of school, which – suggest to all our other allies uh, that can't trust them that they, they, they'll tell uh, tell all your secrets uh, it sends the wrong message and it makes it harder for us to conduct uh, diplomacy um, this will undoubtedly if, if if whether it's true or not if it's believed to be true it'll make it harder for the Biden administration to conduct foreign policy for John Kerry 
to conduct foreign policy. And it may never, you know, no one may ever publicly say that, but, you know, the Brits and the, well, certainly the Israelis and uh, the Aussies and, and, and uh, the Saudis and, and our, our other friends around the globe are going to be very guarded with, with not only the Biden administration in general, but, but Kerry in particular, because they won't be able to trust. Um, and that's, that's not good. And supposedly in the Biden administration, you know, diplomacy was back. Well, this is not a good way to conduct diplomacy. And I think any, you know, any freshman poli sci student would fully grasp that. And I suspect that out of those two explanations, the first one is probably the most accurate, that he was friends with this person. He negotiated the uh, JCPOA uh, the uh, Iranian nuclear deal, and I'm sure that there was some type of mentality there that we're working on this together. We're solving the world's biggest intractable intractable problem. Um, you know, the the other side of that coin, though, is that Israel is our biggest ally in the Middle East, has been for years. It's a democratic form of government, and we are their backers in so many things in the Mideast. And that Iranian nuclear deal was to make peace with their biggest enemy. That's right. And and I, I think you're exactly right. Kerry feels ownership. That's his, uh, that's his um, legacy, if you will, uh, from his time as Secretary of State. And he was upset that it was that the uh, Trump administration withdrew the United States from that agreement. Uh, and, and he continued to do his best to mitigate that and, and, and set up an opportunity to bring us back into the fold and used his friend, the foreign minister of Iran, as a, as a means to, to, to make his thoughts known. I guess the good news from John Kerry's perspective is that no one's talking about his flying commercial anymore. This is true. <laughs> And if anyone missed that story, it's because he's uh, the climate negotiator who flies with a private jet everywhere he goes. And he was also photographed in in the uh, in one of his when he was flying commercial in a seat in the aircraft without without his mask on. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Just like the Bidens were photographed, I guess last week or a week before, but the, but the photograph was published on Monday uh, meeting with the with the Carters. Uh, and none of the four had their masks on. Um, and and then the, the the then the Bidens walked outside and put their mask on right. outside, even though the CDC says you don't have to wear it outside. That's right. That's right. And there's a bubble around them anyway. Uh, but did you see the photo? Did you notice anything strange about the photo? <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think the blockbuster hit of the summer is going to be "Honey, I Shrunk the Carters." <laughs> <laughs> it was bizarre looking to say the least. Um, I, I can't for the life of me understand. I mean, I, I read some places that it had to do with the angle of the, the wide angle of the lens on the camera and so forth. And I'm not sophisticated enough to know whether that's the case or not, but it was strange looking. It really was. Yeah. The more I looked at it, the less I could figure it out. I couldn't understand why Jimmy had on a long sleeve t-shirt and a sport coat um, I couldn't understand why uh, they were um, on the floor, and 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 who and not only did the Carters look small, but the furniture looked small. 
You know, it's like they were the Bidens were in the dollhouse. You know, it, it's it's yeah. it's just strange. Uh, Ms. Carter looked like a little China doll or something sitting yeah. propped up on a on a chair. Yeah. Uh, I did see that they uh, they the, the Carters themselves had been vaccinated and had actually started uh, going back to church um, there in Plains. And uh, well, that's good. And, yeah. I, and I'm sure that all four people in that room had been vaccinated. That's right. And and so why wear the mask, you know, ever? But but Biden earlier uh, before that picture came out, I think, um, but but certainly about the same time was interviewed on by some uh, one of the big three networks, I think. Um, and, and had said it was every American's patriotic duty to wear the mask, even if they've been vaccinated. So I don't know whether that was a moment of low patriotism on the part of our president or or what, but it was very weird. We hadn't planned to talk about masks, but what do you think about that? I think it's an effort to virtue signal mostly, and I think it is an effort to make people feel comfortable and confident and unafraid, and I don't think it really has any reality in the science. Um, Stanford did a study not too long ago that said it, it doesn't help and it maybe hurts. Um, I, I know people that have not worn the mask much at all, um, did not get COVID. I was um, very good uh, about wearing my mask, um, and I got COVID. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see that it does much. Um, I think the best argument that I've heard in favor of the mask is that uh, the flu numbers this year were just remarkably low. Um, and there's some anecdotal evidence about people not getting the seasonal colds uh, that might have something to do with the mask, too. And I don't I don't know enough to know whether that's so or not. But I, I just I'm so tired of wearing the mask. And let's just say that we're not opposed to the vaccine. No. I've had it. I know you've had it. Yeah. You got the one shot. That's right. And I had to go with two shots, but uh, we're both vaccinated. Uh, I had the same same situation as you. I wore the mask. I got COVID, so I guess I've got some double immunity there. That's I right. Hope. You got some really uh, strong antibodies. There you go. Um, you know, my thought about the mask is it's a small thing that I can do that, you know, maybe it helps a little bit, particularly early on before we had the, the vaccines available. That's right. But there's got to be some benefit to getting the vaccine. Right. If the vaccine doesn't relieve you from the duty to wear the mask, then what's the point of the vaccine? And, and you know, the thing about it, too, is a lot of what I read suggests that if you get the virus, you pretty much are going to get it from friends and family, mainly family with whom you're spending a great deal of time in close proximity. Well, we don't have to wear a mask in our home. You know, we wear a mask with strangers. Um, and that seems backwards if if. If what you read is true, I just, you know, I think it was an understandable effort to make sure no harm in trying. I get that, but I think we, we reached a point where the masks need to come off, especially for those who are vaccinated. Of course, you know, I don't, I'm not a believer in the vaccine passport, so pretty much if it comes off, it would have to come off for everybody unless you do something like that. Yeah, I have concerns about the vaccine passport because in my lifetime, I recall when when there was another uh, uh, disease, HIV, and we had to pass federal legislation to protect people's privacy as a result. And yet now the idea of a vaccine passport is that no one has privacy and no one gets to make a choice. That's right. 
and that's 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 truly frightening. Um, you know, they're going to put marks on your clothing, like Hitler did in Germany. Uh, you know, that's not that far fetched. Although there is a uh, there is a carrot in addition to the stick, which is that you can get free things with your shot ca- card, like a free um, donut at Krispy Kreme. I was going to say that's the only one I'm familiar with, <laughs> uh, and I have resisted the urge. Yeah, me too. So what's on your radar for the next week? I think number one, I think the uh, this um, uh, story that's been uh, bubbling about the Chauvin juror, um, who I see just this afternoon, is now saying he, he doesn't have any independent recollection of, of what he's photographed of doing. Um, but there was a motion for a new trial filed yesterday, as I understand it. I think that'll be interesting to follow. Um, and uh, and just in case any listener doesn't know, one of the jurors on the Chauvin trial that returned a guilty verdict uh, was later fo- uh, some photographs came up that where he had been wearing a uh, BLM hat or a T-shirt and had been at some protest, I believe, in Washington. Right, T-shirt and and was at a, a protest. The T-shirt had a. Uh, some reference to George Floyd and Floyd in particular, and of course that's his right to 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 wear it and to go to the protest. I think the the issue is um, apparently when he was questioned on voir dire, um, he denied uh, that um, or denied having that sort of experience, um, and and then it was. Someone found it on Facebook just this this week or maybe at the end of last week. So the, the issue is whether or not, you know, he could have been excused either for cause or uh, or, or discretionary by by the state. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm sorry, by the defense, whether that should entitle him to a new trial. It's very similar to the uh, juror in the Roger Stone case, who was a, a partisan, almost activist Democrat who had tweeted, as I remember, maybe Facebook posts about Roger Stone, um, did not own up to that um, on voir dire, came out after he was convicted. There was a motion for a new trial. Uh, it was denied. Um, and uh, the, the appeal, of course, was pending when he was uh, pardoned uh, by, by the president um, before he left office. And so, uh, you know, the appellate courts didn't get a chance to deal with that. So I'm not sure. Of course, this uh, the Chauvin case is a state case, and the Stone trial was a federal case. But that 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 certainly is something that I'm I'm following closely. Uh, I, th- I find that to be incredibly interesting. Um, One of the misperceptions that people often have about jury trials, high-profile jury cases, is they the uh, the court wants to find jurors that don't know anything about it. That's not the test to serve on the jury. It's whether they can set aside information that they've heard and be fair and impartial. That's right. Um, because if you know if you hadn't heard about the George Floyd trial at the point which the trial started, that almost suggests for that reason alone you're not you're not really shouldn't be sitting on the jury. You're kind of uh, a hermit or, or, or some something. You're living you know uh, with your head in the sand. Um, so it is it's about being enti- impartial. It's an entirely different issue, though. If you say you don't know anything about That's right. it. And evidence comes out that you later did know it, about it. And it suggests that you had an agenda, um, that you weren't impartial. Um, and, and that's the problem. Uh, so I, I'll be watching that. Um, 
I think this Carrie thing is interesting. I, I don't know that I expect it to go anywhere simply because the mainstream media is all about John Kerry and 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 people of uh, of his persuasion. So I don't expect them to push this, just like the Hunter Biden stuff didn't get pushed and and so forth. But uh, that's interesting. You know, something probably will happen between now and next Wednesday that will that will be important. What about you? What's on your What's on your radar screen? I guess a couple of things. One has to do with the White House pushing this new spending package, which is huge. I don't even know how many trillions we're up to now that in either actual spending or proposed spending, but also the spin that's coming out that is bipartisan, even if not a single Republican votes for it on Capitol Hill. I've read articles that essentially Biden has redefined bipartisanship. I was an intern on the Hill many years ago, and I've followed politics for a long time, and I've never heard such a definition before. The idea of something being bipartisan is that someone from each party will will vote for it. Uh, that's not happening. So that's one of the things that's on my radar. And then there's a story that uh, we've seen a little bit about, remains to be seen if it's going to be an issue with uh, a Republican pollster named Frank Luntz. And apparently the uh, House Minority Leader was staying in his home, and Luntz also apparently works for some big tech companies. Yeah, so. that, that'll be that'll be interesting fall. And then, of course, the whole thing with Liz Cheney, is she going to get the boot or not? Yeah, you got a prediction on that? Uh, yeah, I think she's done. I, I do. I, I think when Nancy Pelosi came out in support today, and I think when Nancy Pelosi supports a Republican against other Republicans, it's that's that's a that's the that's the mark of Cain. Um, and I also read uh, Kurt Schlichter. Who's a, a conservative and a commentator and a lawyer out in California was saying that there is no Republican infighting. It's Republicans versus Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinsinger, uh, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, those types, and they're not really Republicans. You know, I thought it was hubris. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it, but but certainly I don't think Liz Cheney can remain in the in the in the leadership in the House when she attacks the base of the party uh, and the members that she is there to lead and support. You know, she's made herself an issue when I don't think she necessarily had to. Um, and I think she's forced this fight and forced this decision. And uh, I, I think now the, the, the task is to find a replacement. I had seen uh, literally right before we, we started tonight, um, the young lady from New York, Elise Stefanik, I think. And there's something in her background or voting record that has given some people some heartburn uh, within the party um, to think that maybe she's similarly inclined as Liz Cheney. And I think she was kind of the, the, had the inside track to, to, to replace Cheney in the event Cheney is, is uh relieved of that uh, position. I think she's number three in the House. And she was very vocal during impeachment proceedings last year uh, in support of the president. Mm -hmm. I I did see someone looked at her voting record and Cheney's voting record, and and Cheney actually supported the president more often on things than Stefanik did. Oh, really? Wow. But the impeachment vote was one of the issues. Sure, sure. I think Cheney's position now, though, is whether she can get reelected in 16 or 17 months from now. Well, I saw uh, someone, and I don't remember who it was, um, suggest earlier in the week that, you know, she floated this trial balloon or 
you know, pre-trial balloon about she might try to run for the presidency in 2024. And the suggestion was that I saw that that's because she knows she's in trouble in a Republican primary. Um, and, and if she were to win that, she's in trouble in a general election. She might survive a primary because, as I understand it, Wyoming would allow Democrats to vote in a Republican primary if they choose. Um, but uh, And so she thinks that she can save face by running for president um, rather than just being a failed uh, congressperson. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or not. I think the Cheney name in Wyoming is still probably uh, very, means a lot. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, she's the only, as I, as I recall, she's the only congressperson to represent the whole state from when she comes. Um, so they have two senators, but only one member of the House in Wyoming. And uh, so she has to she has to be careful in Wyoming um, because she's got a broad area and a lot of different people, I guess, or different not necessarily demographics, but, you know, she's not just urban or rural or, or you know, suburban. She's she's everything. It's a statewide election. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think uh, that that's a that's always an interesting an interesting uh, dynamic. Well, it's been a good episode. Lots of stuff that we've been thinking about. We want to thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.